Hello and Namaste. This is Science Factory. I am Madhavan. We publish a new episode here on alternate weeks discussing interesting concepts and research from the world of biology and medicine. If that's something you're interested in, please subscribe to Science Factory on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Jio Savan, Gaana or any other app where you listen to podcasts. In this episode, we dive deep into breakthrough infections and some other interesting developments in covid research we also have news on why oral vaccines may sometimes fail a potential new treatment for breast cancer there's more evidence on why it's important to have a healthy microbiome ayurvedic medicine could offer a potential cure for a long standing illness among soldiers and lots more new and interesting research findings stay tuned Almost 2 years in the most effective weapon that we currently have to fight the covid pandemic is the vaccines but almost all the vaccines that are currently in circulation were developed against the coronavirus strain that caused the initial wave of infections around the world since then the virus has mutated and we are currently dealing with the delta strain which is the fourth variant of the virus since the pandemic began Because of this propensity of the virus to mutate consistently one of the issues that has worried common public is how effective the current vaccines are against the newer strains of the virus while the vaccines may not be as effective against the mutant strains as the strain against which they were developed researchers and health experts have been consistently assuring that any vaccine will be useful in fighting the infections to some level or the other and it will definitely be helpful in preventing acute infections that require hospitalization icu admissions etc recently a paper was published in the journal cell that backs up this assurance with data and throws some insights on how this works researchers from brigham and women's hospital of harvard medical school examined the antibody profile of people who got covid before april 2020 and then recovered The blood samples were collected for this study between April and May 2020 that is well before the first mutant strain of coronavirus was discovered in UK so the antibodies that were looked at as part of this study were all against only the original coronavirus strain from the hundreds of antibody types that the researchers looked at it was found that antibodies mostly bind to only seven particular sites on the spike protein of the virus that is Several different antibodies produced against coronavirus bind to the same site or to sites close to each other. Not just that, the antibodies produced against the virus responsible for COVID-19 can also bind to viruses that cause SARS, MERS and common cold. Against the variant strains of coronavirus that is the alpha, beta and gamma strains, because there are multiple antibodies targeting the same region of the virus, even though some of the antibodies that could neutralize the original virus strain had lost their potency there were some other antibodies binding to the same region that were still effective what this means is that our immune system produces multiple antibodies that could compete to target the same site or different sites that are very close to each other on a pathogen in this case the covid virus 
This kind of a response on first look might seem redundant, but this is part of nature's contingency plan. The multiplicity of antibodies against the same or similar sites of a pathogen helps to fight against possible infections by newer variations of the pathogen that may emerge in the future. In past episodes of this podcast, we looked at research reports on how current pandemic is affecting mental health, like making it worse for those suffering from eating disorders or making it difficult to fall asleep. In a new report published in British Journal of Ophthalmology, researchers from Chinese University of Hong Kong note that there has been a potential increase in myopia incidence among school children in that country. Those of us who are parents to school-going children know this already from personal experience. This study only assigns a number to that experience. In pre-COVID world, if incidence of myopia among 6, 7 and 8-year-old children was about 36% in a 3-year period, in just 8 months during the pandemic, 19% of examined children developed myopia. This is probably because the time children spent looking at a screen increased from 2 hours and 27 minutes to about 6 hours and 53 minutes. And this is not just because the schools are all now on Zoom. The incessant lockdowns and fear of coming in contact with an infected person means that the average time children spent playing outside decreased from 1 hour and 16 minutes to just about 24 minutes. This data should help inform parents, school administrators and government officials about the costs and benefits as we start thinking about how to return to normalcy and in-person teaching in schools. One of the rare success stories in our country when it comes to healthcare is the eradication of polio. The biggest contributor for this is the success of pulse polio vaccination drive where polio vaccine in the form of oral drops was administered to all children in the country under the age of 5 years. The program was so successful that the last observed case of polio in our country was 10 years ago in 2011. But the oral vaccines have not been so successful in many other poor and middle income countries. The results from a paper that was recently published in the journal Immunity by researchers from University of Pittsburgh in USA tells us why oral vaccines sometimes do not work. Environmental enteric dysfunction or EED is a poorly understood disease of the small intestine that results in malnutrition and stunted growth in children. EED is also considered responsible for failure of oral vaccines, but how this happens was not known. One of the features of EEG is the development of inflammation in the small intestine. This inflammation is suppressed by a type of immune cells called regulatory T-cells. In the process, regulatory T-cells also suppress immune response to self and foreign particles. It is this action of regulatory T-cells that prevents oral vaccines from being effective in those with EEG. Breast cancer is one of the most common types of cancer. Though it occurs only among women, it is the most common type of cancer in India. As per data from World Health Organization's Global Cancer Observatory, in 2020 alone, there were 1,78,361 breast cancer cases in our country. This is 26.3% of all cancer cases among women and 13.5% of cancer cases among both sexes. By comparison, leukemia or blood cancer, which affects both the sexes, 
accounts for only about 3.6% of cancer cases and only about 2.6% of deaths. At 13.3%, breast cancer is the number one cause of death due to cancer. It is estimated that one in every 28 women in India is likely to develop breast cancer during her lifetime. This possibility increases to 1 in 22 for urban women. Breast cancer cells are commonly found to express three specific types of markers, female hormones, estrogen and progesterone, and a protein called human epidermal growth factor. A special type of breast cancer where none of these three markers is present is called triple negative breast cancer or TNBC. When compared to other types of breast cancers, TNBC grows and spreads faster and there are limited treatment options. In a recent work published in the journal Cancer, researchers from MD Anderson Cancer Center at University of Texas observed that initiation of a treatment regimen that includes statins within 12 months of cancer diagnosis could improve treatment outcomes in women with TNBC. Statins are a type of drugs known to lower cholesterol in blood and are commonly used to treat those at risk of developing cardiovascular diseases or stroke. If validated by further investigations, this could prove to be a quite useful and a low-cost tool against an aggressive disease without many treatment options. Iota is the large artery that carries oxygen-rich blood from heart to other parts of the body. During youth, this artery is elastic but stiffens with age. Obesity is one of the factors that can accelerate this stiffening process. According to results published by researchers from Wake Forest University School of Medicine in USA, regular aerobic exercise training when combined with mild reduction in daily calorie intake by just about 250 calories can result in positive improvement in aortic stiffness by as much as 21% in older adults with obesity in the 65 to 79 age group. Data from this study shows that the combination of exercise and calorie restriction has greater impact than just exercise, not just for healthy heart but also in reducing weight. This research was published in the journal Circulation. There is no doubt that disposable diapers and sanitary pads are essential requirements to maintain hygiene for babies and women. These products are made of super absorbent material that is not easy to recycle and usually ends up in landfills. Researchers from University of Michigan in USA and the consumer products company Procter & Gamble have developed a method to recycle these materials into a general purpose adhesive or glue. This recycled adhesive not only works better than the traditional adhesives that are de derived from petroleum products but also has a lower global warming potential and energy demand. Overall, this could be a step forward in reducing microplastic pollution of soil and in fighting climate change. This work was published in the journal Nature Communications. A few episodes ago on this podcast, we discussed the importance of microbiome in our health. One area where the microbiome plays a role is in what is called the gut-brain axis, that is, the microbiome in the stomach and intestine impacts the brain health. In that episode, we also discussed how indiscriminate use of antibiotics is one of the main reasons for disturbances in the microbiome. As per a new report in the journal iScience, the work done by researchers from New York University and Rutgers University shows that early life exposure to antibiotics could 
adversely affect the intestinal microbiome and gene expression in the brain. When newborn mice were exposed to a low dose of penicillin, there were substantial changes in the structure and composition of the intestinal microbiome. There was also substantial alteration of gene expression in the brain affecting the development of nervous system. These results once again highlight the dangers of indiscriminate use of antibiotics especially early on in our lives when the microbiome is still taking shape. One route microorganisms enter our body is through food especially into stomach and intestine microbiome. If these microbes are beneficial like when we consume probiotic food like yogurt they enrich the microbiome. But if there are harmful microorganisms in food, they lead to illness, what we commonly call food poisoning. If we are to go by research findings published in the journal Cell, it would seem that nature has already accounted for this and created a system to handle foodborne pathogens. In this paper, researchers from University of Texas report that microbes in the intestine prompt immune system to generate daily rhythms in the production of antimicrobial proteins that synchronizes with feeding rhythms of the animal to anticipate microbial exposure. It was found that this rhythmic expression of antimicrobial proteins is in turn driven by daily rhythms in the binding of bacteria to the intestine lining which was synchronized to the animal's biological clock. This cyclic production of antimicrobial proteins resulted in the level of resistance against harmful bacteria like salmonella to vary across the day-night cycle in the mice. The more we learn about it, the kind of fine-tuning and feedback mechanisms in our body perfected over millions of years just keeps amazing. Gulf War illness or Gulf War syndrome or chronic multi-symptom illness is a medical condition found among soldiers who were deployed in the Gulf War during the early 1990s. Its symptoms include fatigue, headache, joint pains, indigestion, insomnia, respiratory disorders, memory problems, etc. One of the causes resulting in this condition is supposed to be an altered gut-brain axis because of the soldier's exposure to things like pesticides or anti-nerve gas treatment or chemicals like mustard gas or smokes from burnt oil wells. According to a recent study published in the journal Brain Science, these symptoms could be relieved using a plant-derived substance called andrographolide. When this substance was given to mice modeled to mimic Gulf War illness, microbiome alterations were restored and there was a significant increase in the population of beneficial probiotic bacteria. There was also a significant decrease in the virus families known to cause intestinal diseases. What's interesting is that andrographolide is isolated from a plant called Andrographis paniculata, which has been used in Ayurveda and Siddha medicine in our country for hundreds of years as Kalmeg or Kiriyat or Nila vapor. You may have heard of the saying, spare the rod and spoil the child. It's often used in the context of child care to mean that if a child is not disciplined when they make a mistake, it will lead to more bad behavior. But According to new research findings published in the journal Development and Psychopathology, children between 2.5 and 9 years of age who are exposed to harsh parenting methods show smaller grey matter volume in the brain and subclinical anxiety symptoms. Grey matter is the part of brain that contains regions involved in processes such as muscle control, seeing and hearing, memory, emotions, 
speech, decision making, self control, etc. This part of the brain grows mostly during our childhood. So, next time when you get angry with your child and want to yell or beat or shake them, remember that your actions could have a long term impact on their mental health. Autoimmune response is a condition where our immune system turns against our own body's cells and tries to destroy them. It is the autoimmune response that results in diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and type 1 diabetes. Wouldn't it be nice if our immune system, instead of attacking organs like pancreas and the lining of joints, can destroy extra fat tissue causing obesity? It would be so convenient to lose weight if we can just sit around and additional layers of fat disappeared magically, isn't it? That is exactly what seems to be happening, at least in mice, according to a paper published recently in the journal Science. Thymic stromal lymphopoietin or TSLP is a protein that is involved in the activation of immune responses, especially during allergic reactions like asthma or inflammatory arthritis. When mice were engineered to produce excessive levels of TSLP, it resulted in selective loss of white adipose tissue. In our body, white adipose tissue is found under the skin and in the abdomen or tummy, where it is useful as energy storage and to provide insulation and maintain body temperature. This adipose tissue is accumulated at elevated levels in those with obesity. Researchers found that TSLP activated immune cells near the skin, leading to reduced adipose tissue and weight loss in the mice. It was also observed that mice that lost weight due to TSLP treatment also had greasier fur than mice that were not treated. On further investigation, researchers found that this was because these mice secreted increased levels of a fat-rich substance called sebum, which is produced by glands in the skin to act as a protective barrier against microbial infections. That means, these mice were literally sweating fat. In recent times, there is a growing interest in what is called the vegan diet, especially so after many celebrities openly came out to endorse its benefits. Basically, veganism is a severe form of vegetarianism professing total avoidance of all animal-based food including milk and other such dairy products. According to findings in a recently published paper in Journal of American Heart Association, such extreme avoidance of animal-based food may not be necessary to experience health benefits. In this study, researchers followed 4,946 adults in 18 to 30 age group for 32 years from 1985 to 2018 to understand the benefits of a predominantly plant-based diet with respect to development of cardiovascular diseases or heart ailments. From their observations of this long-term study, they concluded that consumption of a plant-centered, high-quality diet starting in young adulthood is associated with a lower risk of cardiovascular diseases by middle age. However, a complete exclusion of animal foods from the diet is not necessary. These findings were reported by researchers from University of Minnesota Twin Cities, University of California and University of Alabama. In this episode's deep dive, let's look at what is breakthrough infection that health experts are increasingly talking about in the context of COVID pandemic. Breakthrough infection is a situation where a person who has been vaccinated against a particular disease falls sick with that same disease. That is, the vaccine failed to provide protection which is what it is supposed to do. 
Does that mean the vaccine doesn't work? Not really. It only means that the pathogen virus in the case of COVID managed to break through the protective barrier generated by vaccination. A breakthrough infection is not something unexpected nor is it special for the vaccines against COVID-19. No vaccine is 100% effective. The most efficient vaccine till date is the anti-measles vaccine which is only about 98% efficient. And this efficiency of a vaccine is determined under certain circumstances and against a particular variant of the virus. This is the reason why governments usually demand clinical trials in the context of a local population even if a drug or vaccine is approved in some other country. This is called bridging clinical trials. When the conditions in which a vaccine is tested, also called clinical trials, when those conditions change, for example the temperature uh, in which the vaccine is used or the genetic makeup of, a, of the target population or genetic makeup of the virus itself, then the efficiency of the vaccine also changes. And this is even more so in case of vaccines against viral infections because viruses tend to mutate even more frequently than uh, say bacterial pathogens. Most well-known example of that is the flu vaccine. Even if you are vaccinated uh, this year against flu, you will have to get another shot next year because the influenza virus would have mutated uh, already by then. And this is what is happening with COVID also. Like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, almost all the COVID vaccines that are currently being used were developed against the original strain of coronavirus. But the current wave of the pandemic uh, is being driven by the Delta variant, which is three strains removed from the original strain. Does that mean that the current vaccines are useless against the Delta variant? Again, as reported in the first study discussed in this episode, there is enough evidence to convince that immune response produced against the original virus strain retains enough memory to provide protection against any of the newer variants. Even in the case of a breakthrough infection, a fully vaccinated person has very small chance of developing severe or life-threatening level of infections. It would most likely be very mild symptoms or even no symptoms. It is therefore important that as many people get vaccinated at the earliest possible to prevent loss of life or to create pressure on our country's already limited healthcare system and to prevent the kind of panic we saw earlier in this year during the second COVID-19 wave. That's all in this episode of Science Factory. Hope you found it useful. If you wish to go through the original papers referenced in this episode, links are provided in the description. If you like what you heard, share this with your family and friends. Before you leave, please subscribe to the podcast so you are alerted whenever a new episode is published. Just search for Science Factory in whichever app you use to listen to podcasts. Till next time, stay safe, stay healthy and be happy.